Okay. Oh, goodness. Children have a very interesting point of view. You can never be sure what they might say. It's always a dangerous encounter to do a children's sermon because I'm always told never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Because <laughs> you never know the answer you're going to get. And as I was studying for today's message, I came across a website a few years ago that I bookmarked that had children's prayers and letters to God. And there are several of those that stood out to me, one being, Our Father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. <laughs> One little boy said, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a good time like I am. <laughs> Dear God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Neil. Dear God, thank you for the little brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. No. <laughs> Dear God, sometimes I think about you even when I'm not praying. Elliot. Dear God, I'm an American. What about you? It's a problem. Dear God, if you watch church on Sunday, I'll, I'll show you my new shoes. Mickey Dean. Dear God, I bet, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair on over. So wife invited some people over to dinner at the table she turned to their six year old daughter and said would you like to say the blessing the girl said I wouldn't I wouldn't know what to say she said just hear what just say what you hear mommy say the daughter bowed her head very solemnly and said Lord why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner <laughs> we can learn from children. Today we're going to look and see exactly what we can learn about our salvation and our, our experience in relationship with Jesus through children. To find that out, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. The story is, is, is very familiar, at least the verses. Um, Jesus is in Capernaum. He's just dealt with tax collectors by sending Peter to fish, and the fish would have the tax in it. And then we come across this passage here in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. We have a conversation between the disciples and Jesus. And there, starting in verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a child to him and had him stand among them. I assure you, he said, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel this morning. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. So we ask all these things in your son Jesus and for his sake and all God's people say. A few years back, there was a movie called Talladega Nights. Some of you may have watched it. Some of you may not have watched it. But there was a scene there where 
Ricky Bobby, the, the driver, was sitting there with his other friend. He was also a driver, and his friend asked him if he could just win one race. He just wanted to win one race, basically. And Ricky Bobby looked at him and said, no, you can't have two ones that make 11. That's kind of what's going on here, it seems like, a little bit in, in this passage. Because we're not told that Jesus and the disciples are going anywhere in particular. And I'm a firm believer that what we see in Scripture is a, is a diluted version of all of the other events. That the writers have taken the important stuff and put them there. I feel the scene was a lot bigger. The disciples are probably, you know, sitting around just talking innocently. You know how we do, right? Sometimes Sunday school, the first 30 minutes, we're talking. We're trying to talk about the week and the things that are happening and the things that are going on. The disciples here, they're talking, probably discussing things that they had seen, things that they had heard, things that they experienced. Can you imagine? You've been with Jesus. They've been doing miracles. They've been saying all these things. And man, man, we're just talking about all this stuff. They were doing what we do. And someone spoke to says, man, can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Somebody says, yeah, you know, I bet old so-and-so is going to be pretty important when he gets there. Peter says, now, but he has what it takes to make it. He's not, he's not going to count. And the discussion begins. I feel they're discussing amongst themselves. They're, they're saying these things. They're, they're giving their opinion on who's the greatest in heaven. And somebody says, well, you know, the Pharisees obey all the rules. They know everything. They keep the do's. They avoid the don'ts. Somebody says, yeah, but Jesus and the Pharisees don't have a very good relationship, so I don't know if they're going to be there that well or not. What about the scribes? The scribes write everything down. They know everything. Surely when they get there, Sanhedrin, they know the theology. They are the ones at the top. They're, they're going to have the prime spots there just like they do here. And then somebody probably says, well, what about us? What about us? I mean, well, what are we going to have? I mean, after all, we're the ones who gave up everything, gave up our livelihoods to follow Jesus. Probably when they lock them all, they put the disciple at that point. You know, he's the one who's closest to Jesus. And they go, what? <laughs> James says, let's just ask Jesus. He'll know. And of course, they all rush into Jesus and Peter blurts out, who's going to be the greatest of heaven? You have more than one kid. That's how it happens, right? They all come running in at once and somebody blurts it out to get it out there. So Jesus, Peter says, hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, who? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus kind of just sits there for a minute, I imagine. And I don't think Jesus was ever wanted to give a quick answer. He wants you to steal what you're thinking about. He does have that ace He lets us steal a little bit. You gotta know. Man, come on, Jesus. Who is it? Who is it? Is it one of us? That's why he's not coming out with it. No, humans are prideful things. They're probably going, it's probably me. He doesn't want to tell them. <laughs> and then Jesus sees a little boy playing with some pebbles or something on the side of the road, and he calls him to him, and when he gets there, he lifts him into the middle of the group and he says, you want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who's most like this child. Can you imagine their thoughts at that moment? He must have misunderstood the question. He probably misunderstood because there's no way a child, no, no, Jesus, we meant who is going to be the greatest in heaven. And almost as if he can read their minds, he continues, unless you're willing to humble yourself and become like a child, you're not going to make it. Childlike faith. What a story that, that Jesus gives here. What a picture that Jesus gives to the disciples. They asked who the greatest was, and he tells them not only is the child the greatest, but unless we come like, become like them, we're never even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think it probably blew their minds a little bit right there. 
Because for them, the people who were ready for the kingdom of heaven were the ones who knew the scriptures. The ones who would study. The ones who were teachers. They had to be ready. They had to be the greatest. Or at least one of us guys, because we gave up everything and we've been here right here with you, Jesus. It's got to be us. Who's going to be the greatest? But he says, no, this child is the greatest. And unless you're locked up, you're not even going to get there. What's so different about children that make them our goal? Why would Jesus suggest we be like children to enter in heaven? What sets them apart? <clears throat> there are several things. The first, children know how to trust. A child who doesn't trust has been made that way by the adults around them. Life has happened. A child trusts. A child, you take a child, you put them in a hot place and you say, jump, I'm going to catch you. And that, that child trusts you. Until you drop them. Until you don't make it. That's how they learn not to trust. They'll jump. They'll have to think about it. They'll have to go, well, well, I don't know. I don't know if I trust you or not. If they're a child who's never been through those hard times, they're going to trust you. They're not going to be scared of that. They don't have any fear. They don't have to stop and pray over it. They just do it. They simply trust you at your word and take the leap. Distrust comes after failure in life. They haven't had enough failure in life. Distrust comes as we get older. I know some of you are thinking, well, being too trusted is that I, I thought we teach our kids about stranger danger. Well, you're right. That's all we do then. But that proves the point, doesn't it? We have to teach them that strangers have danger. I'm failing with that with my kids. I'll just admit it. My kids have never met a stranger. They talk to everybody. Because <laughs> they watch me talk to everybody. I don't know how to change that. But that's how it happens. But children trust. That's how we're supposed to be with God. Trust in the Lord is, is the first part of salvation. And children know how to trust. They give it away. Unlike adults, we have to build trust. You ever said that to somebody? Well, you have to earn my trust. Hmm. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't tell us that? Yeah. Children know how to trust. They trust. Children trust you on your word for who you are, and God wants us to have a childlike trust. But children also love in abundance. You ever met an unloving child? <laughs> a child who didn't give affection away very quickly? Again, if you have, it's the blame of the adults around them. Children love everything, right? They love their dolls, their stuffed animals, their toys, their school, their pets, the dirt on the ground. I mean, they love everything, and they give that love away. I always found it strange in college that my buddies would get upset at a long prayer before meals when the longest prayer I ever heard at a meal came from a four-year-old. They blessed everything. I was there 15 minutes. Lord, bless Mommy, bless Daddy, bless my aunt and uncle, bless my grandma and my grandpa, bless my dog and my cat and my goldfish. Bless the fireman down the road. Bless the farmer who grew this food. I mean, they just they bless everything. Bless my stuffed animals. Bless my dolls. And I'm going, well, at dinner, I'm going to eat lunch. They love. They love an abundance. It takes heartache and disappointment to crush the stability of the love of a child. They have love that flows from every pore. And that's what Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to love. Must love everybody. They know how to love. They know how to love in abundance. That's what God calls us to. 
The children are also forgiving. Little kids, although in the moment it may feel like forever, they forgive pretty quickly. They do. It's just, it's done. They don't hold grudges. There's a reason why for young children, especially divorce is so hard, because they can't understand why you can't get over yourself and just forgive. They don't get it. I mean, we spent our entire lives telling kids, say I'm sorry. To a young child, I'm sorry makes everything better. When they turn six and you begin to transition with the fact that it takes more than I'm sorry, maybe it's not the child that's wrong, maybe it's us that's wrong. I said that out loud. Because for them, it's just, I'm sorry, and it's over, and it's done, and it's great. If you add a hug to that, oh my goodness, you have won the world. Because all of a sudden, something's different. They don't need to weigh the hurt. Well, you hurt me too bad this time. They don't need to have reparations. They don't need to see you get paid back for what you did to them. They simply just want to forgive. Forgiveness comes naturally to those who haven't learned to hold, learned to hold on to the hurt. Children forgive. I believe in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said we should forgive 77 times. Keep on forgiving. We can't have a better example of how to live a forgiving life than the child of the children are forgiving. The children are also humble. Now, let me define humble here. Because there are some kids who are... Uh, Superman in their own eyes, right? They, they, they think they can do anything. But what I mean by humble is they understand that there are some things bigger than they are. They see the world through a smaller perspective than this. Have you ever gone back to a place that you went to when you were a child? I remember going back as an adult to my, my elementary school when I was when I was four and started pre-K. And I remember back then, women may not get this, they might, but they may not. Back then, men's urinals went from the floor all the way up, right? I mean, there was nothing hanging on the wall. It was a long urinal. I thought that was the most monstrous, cavernous thing I'd ever seen at all as a four-year-old. The room was huge. I swore the bathroom was as big as a sanctuary. You walked in and it just felt like you just went on forever. But when I went back as an adult, I'm thinking, this is a, y'all took some away. This is a closet now. And there's no way to say you're an oldest. None of this is because my perspective had changed. When I think about Goliath being nine feet tall, I think he's big. But can you imagine what a child feels when they look at a nine foot tall individual? That's not just big, that's giant, that's gigantic. Children are humble enough, they're willing to concede that there's something bigger than they are. Sometimes we think we're the sun and the universe revolves around us. Children don't feel that way. Children know that there's something out there greater than them. That's not all we can learn. Children also haven't lost their sense of wonder. Did you know that adults can be boring? I don't know, it's probably an offensive summer this morning. But adults can be boring. Because we look at a tree and we see a tree. Right? A child can look at a tree and see a rocket ship. They can look at a tree and see an army fort. 
They can look at a tree and see a monster. They've not lost their sense of wonder. They can pick up a stick and it's a gun. Or it's a sword. Or it's a lightsaber. Or whatever else that their imagination brings them to. They have not lost that. Their stuffed animals have their own personalities. You go into my daughter's room. Every animal has a name. I don't know what they are. They all have their own personalities. She's back there giving them an earful about her animals now. They have all their own personalities. They, they all know. There's something different about each one of them. Because the world is magical to a child. They see the possibilities when we would give up. Angels? Absolutely. Healing? Sure thing. Resurrections? Certainly. They're not afraid to think outside the box. They still have a sense of wonder. They want that child on Christmas morning. They wished and wished and wished for something. They wake up and they go into the room. There's presents that are there. i got to wake everybody up. It doesn't matter that it's 3 a.m. Everybody's got to get up so we can open the presents that are under the tree because, man, there is so much magic going on in their faces that line up when their expectations are met in a gift. That sense of wonder is contagious. There was a quote that I read that says, there's nothing sadder in this world than to awaken Christmas morning and not be a child. Children have that sense of wonder that comes from this fulfillment. We can learn that sense of wonder when we talk about God and things of God. But a child is also expected to be obedient. Ouch. Ouch. Um, we expect children to be obedient. Now, we also expect them to act up. Let's be honest, right? I mean, they're children. If they didn't act up, we would think something was wrong. I would be more inclined to think my kid was possessed if they acted right than if they acted wrong, simply because that's children. But we also expect them to comply and be disciplined when they do act. To be childlike in our faith is to be obedient to the Father. He gives rules, just like our Father. And He expects that we follow Him. And they're all written here in this book. The child is obedient or he's punished or he's disciplined for the lack thereof. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to become like a child. We must be obedient to our father. But a child also must grow. Do you ever think about that? A child must grow. <coughs> Children grow. They have to. If they don't, it means sickness or death. They may not grow much, but they grow. I, I have a cousin who, she's two years older than me, and she stands as tall. I mean, she didn't grow much, but she grew. <laughs> Maybe slow at first and quick at times, but they grow. We have to grow in God, just like a child. We're called to grow. It may be slow at times. It may be quick others. I mean, how, I, there have been times in my life where there is a doctrine of God that I just struggle with, and I will sit there and I will struggle with it for years. There have been things that me, for me, it took years for me to wrap my mind around. And then there are other things that I go, yep, yeah, absolutely. There are things in this day that I still sit here and I go, hmm, I'm not sure if I know about that. Children must grow. We must grow. We have to grow. If we're not growing, we have to call our salvation into question, honestly. 
I wouldn't say we're not saved, but I think it starts to beg the question, if we're not growing, we cannot be childlike in our faith because children grow. There's got to be some growth. got to be some change. got to be some movement. You know, the child will, will look like the father or mother. I mean, there ain't no denying who my kids' parents are. I mean, you, you know who my kids you put pictures of me as a baby next to pictures of my kids, and you can't tell the difference. Carrie, Carrie got offended once at a family gathering because Shiloh had red hair, and her cousin's baby had red hair, and they kept talking about how Shiloh looked like her cousin's baby. Well, her cousin's baby looked just like his dad, who had red hair. And so... She, she was overwhelmed. So I just let me pull out a picture of me that I had on my phone as a baby. And I showed it to Gimby. That's a really good picture of Shiloh. I said, that's not Shiloh. No. Children look like their parents. They look like the father. We're, we're, we're called to be the same way. I always wanted to be like my dad. And I remember about five years ago, there were no mailboxes in Rankin, so we had to go to the post office to get a mail. And I got my mail, and I came back out to the car, and I dropped my keys as I went to get in because I could have swore I saw my dad behind my shoulder. I grabbed, got, picked my keys, and got back up, and I realized it wasn't my dad that I saw, it was me. I'd seen myself in the window, and it just, in that moment, looked like my dad. And I went, oh. And that shocked me. I want to be like my dad, and at times I catch myself doing the things that he always did. Children emulate their parents. They strive to do what their parents do. I can't not like something because then Shiloh's not going to like it. That's a very hard thing to do as a parent, because there are certain things I don't like, and I'm never going to like them. That's just the way it works. Parents, kids dress like their parents. They act like their parents. They imitate their parents. We as Christians should do the same with our father. It looks like it. Will people see the father in you? Will they know that you're his because of the resemblance? The love, the acceptance, the forgiveness? Do you act like him? Taking care of others, forgiving each other, loving each other? That's what Jesus said. People would know your mind because you have love one for another, right? Do you imitate him? Do we even try to imitate Jesus? <laughs> Do we even try to emulate God or are we too scared someone will laugh or make fun of us? That happens too. Who do you think you are? I don't know. Somebody trying to act like my father. And I know, and I know the clothes don't fit and they're baggy all over because I haven't grown into the place that Jesus wants me to be yet. But I'm sure trying. I'm sure trying to be who he wants me to be. Looking like the father should be our goal. Well, this one might be the most important to me. A little child would always want to know his father is close by. Okay. Or mother. We call God the Father, but right now for Asher, it's mother. I mean, he can, he'll cry the whole time. If he wants mama and nobody knows, he'll cry. Even if it's big, I mean, there's nothing. One of the biggest fears of children is abandonment. They don't want to be left behind. 
They want to make sure. As Christians, we have to have that same desire of God. But instead, we act like teenagers around. Right? A child wants to be with his parents. What does a teenager want? Leave me alone. I want my privacy. I'm going to close my door. I don't want you to know what's going on in my life. Stay out of it. It's me. I'm an adult now. That's what we act like with God sometimes. Well, God, I don't need you around. I don't need your advice. I don't need your opinion. I want to live my life how I'm supposed to live my life. I just want you to bless it because you're God and you're supposed to love me anyway. But we need to be like children, he says. We need to always want to be a part of our lives. We, we don't need to be hiding from him like we do. We hide from him. Sometimes we're like Adam in the garden. We're hiding. I'm just going to hide from God. Really? Good luck with that. We have to reclaim that desire to have God close by at all times. This would help us to walk the Christian walk. I mean, all of these characteristics of children are important. But this one here, I mean, I want Jesus right there. I want him right there. I want him close by. That's scary. Why is that scary? Because we don't do the same things when our father's nearby that we do when he's not nearby. You ever had a favorite movie that you didn't realize how bad it was until somebody was sitting next to you that you didn't think needed to see that? <laughs> I mean, honestly, we all do that. We, we watch a movie, we go, oh, this is a great movie. <laughs> I'll admit, I used to watch movies with my daddy, but they were on TV. Back when TV wasn't cable, so they were all edited, and I didn't know they were edited. I went to watch one here about three months ago, and I got five minutes in, and I had to turn it off. Because I went, y'all can't hear that? And it was gone. It was Convoy. Yeah. Used to come on Channel 21 like every weekend, right? Convoy, you know? Can't watch that with kids. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But that's how when we when I, the first time as a as a teenager, when you watch that movie with that questionable content with your parents and you shrink over into the couch, your parents have done seen it all, honey. It's okay. But you're over there going, I can't believe I'm watching this mom and dad. But we do that with God, right? God, we don't want you to see this, but we want you to bless what we're doing. You have to be like children say, God, we want you to be here all the time. Because the last point, children are totally dependent on their parents. <laughs> totally dependent. They can't live on their own. They can't make those decisions. They can't hold a job. They can't work the land. They need their parents to care for and provide for them everything that they need. That's how it's supposed to be as Christians. We are supposed to be totally dependent upon God, not trying ourselves first, not waiting until we fail and then going to Him, but going to Him first. Saying, God, how do you want me to do this? How do you want this to happen? And allowing Him to provide for us. One of the things that I'm proud of Shallow for learning in the past few months is asking for help. Sometimes when we play a video game, he'll get to a hard part and he'll be like, Dad, I can't do this. And he'll just look at it and go, can you come help with this? Because <laughs> he hasn't even done it yet. And he goes, I know I can't do that. And he'll stop and he'll ask, can you help me? 
He didn't have anybody going, God, I can't, I can't do this. Have you looked at the world like I can't do this. I can't do it. But God can. We can't do it on our own. We need to become like children and become totally dependent on our Father. Especially for forgiveness and salvation. We can't do it on our own. You know, it's never too late to be a kid again. I always love Toys R Us where a kid can be a kid. But it's the same in the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. Where everyone can be a kid. Got to reclaim these characteristics of childhood that some of us have lost. We have to begin to act like a child. It's the only way to the kingdom of heaven. It's the only way. Because as Jesus said, for that reason, anyone who can humble themselves like a child with the grace of the kingdom of heaven. So I guess Talladega and Athens was wrong. There is more than one number one in heaven. To get there, we have to become like a child. And those like a child are the greatest. So everyone who gets there will be the greatest. Can you imagine? That's what it means. When we get there, there's only one greatest, really. That's Jesus. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The rest of us are all on equal footing. Doesn't matter who we were in this life. Doesn't matter what we had, what we didn't have, where we've gone. It doesn't matter because we all get there the same way with the same amount of stuff. None. Because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. We hold on to a lot of stuff. Both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We just need to get rid of it. It's time to have a garage sale to start the new year. A garage sale in our soul and say, Jesus, you can have it all. I don't want it anymore. I'm not going to carry it around anymore. I'm going to be dependent upon you and I'm going to walk where you want me to walk and only where you want me to walk because I'm going to not try to do this on my own. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling. You've been struggling with that total dependence. You've been struggling with, with allowing your sense of who Jesus is to overwhelm you. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by who God is? Maybe this morning, we want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken the stop time to, to, to become like a child and to come to him and say, I want you to be my father. I want you to, to change me. Now's the time. Just come out of the aisles of the trial. I know Jesus will go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you're needing, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.